This is Gavin Dean Smith, and you're listening to Behind the Stage. We have made it to episode five. I know I keep saying this, but go back and check out episode one with A.J. Larson, episode two with Cliff Albert, episode three with Dylan Garrett Smith, and most recently, episode four with Zach Dondi. Episode five is an interview with my good friend, Dominic James. Much like episodes one, two, and four, I met Dom playing shows in the Poconos as a teenager. Dom is a killer guitar player and also played in a band called The Holy Mess for a while. He writes his own music, he produces, he writes for other people, and back in 2008 he even wrote a song with Asher Roth. I've always known Dom to play in punk bands, but recently he's been releasing pop music. He has a few singles out, he's got a merch line out, and at the end of this episode you'll be able to hear one of his latest singles. Before we get into the episode, be sure to check us out on Instagram, at Behind the Stage Podcast. Check out Dom as well. He can be found at D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K-J-A-M-E-S underscore. So let's do it. Episode 5 with Dominic James. Hey, buddy. What's up, dude? Long time no talk. How are you? It's been a while, my man. How's it going? It's going. What? What is this now? You're building an army over there. Children, oh, dude. Houses. It's almost like you grow up eventually, and it's weird. <laughs> like it's weird now. Like I'm. I'm. I thought I was a dad before, but dude, two is a whole nother ball game. Better, worse, it's harder, <clears throat> way harder way harder more fun but hard dude i'll never i'll never forget standing backstage at that show at camelback and you're like yo liza's pregnant oh yeah because <laughs> <laughs> we were both oh, teching we were both yeah, like guitar yeah, teching yeah. or something <clears throat> yeah we were that's what we yeah, yeah yeah i dude i yeah that was like when we like just found out like probably not too much long like before that dude that was that was a war one because we were what, like I was like 24 dude. yeah like think about that 25 is when she was born so when she was pregnant we were t- like i was 24 that's why i'm thinking about that now like yeah. holy <laughs> shit <laughs> like what yeah that's crazy <clears throat> yeah wow. time flies man so let's start off with the day we met and i'm gonna ask you this question do you remember the first time we were formally introduced vaguely dude it was what like 16 years ago at this point like it was a long time ago so i'm gonna take vaguely you though i'm gonna take you back this is Corey's basement in emerald lakes <laughs> it's you jamming with him matt norton and some other kids trying to start a band and it was so segregated it was you guys trying to jam and then all of your girlfriends on a couch Okay, yeah. Um, uh, uh-huh. Yep, I'm remembering and it, now. And all all of the girls had blonde hair with black swishes <laughs> and way too many bracelets on. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is what, like, two, I don't even, dude, that I, I want to say it was 2005. So yeah, it had to be, like, right around there. Yeah, 2005, because you and I, we went to different schools, but we graduated the same year. We're the same age. Yep. Um, we both played guitar. Um, but what, or let me ask you this, how old were you when you started playing guitar, when you first started playing an instrument? When I started playing 
I mean, the first instrument I ever started playing was the drums. My uncle was like a drummer and my grandpa and my parents, like they bought me a drum set when I was really young. And then um, I started playing guitar when I was 12 because my sister, Raina, had like a squire, like a red squire. And she like never played it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to try this thing out. So then I just picked it up and basically taught myself um, then I was 12, 11 or 12. Okay, so based on how old we are, it's probably around like 2003 in that time frame, 2002. Yeah, right around there, yeah. 2002, 2003, something like that. So you start playing guitar, but when do you start your first band? Probably right around that time you're talking about. I think um, I was in this band in high school, like with uh, Eric Rodrigo when he was in like sixth grade. We started like a band. Um, and then me and Corey tried to do a bunch of stuff at the time. The first... But yeah, I guess like the first real band I was in was, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But, yeah. yeah. So, so was, was the Holy Mess, right? That was the first like serious band. Yeah. It was the Holy Mess. Um, like the bands in high school, we had played like the talent shows and stuff, but we never like really did anything else. But yeah, the Holy Mess was definitely the first real yeah, band. You and I were kind of in the same boat where you and I were both super young, but everybody in our bands were much older. Because when yeah. I started playing and pulled a pin, I was 16 and Rob was a sophomore in college and yeah, had already exactly. toured and was also playing drums in city and state on the weekends. And so, right, exactly. Yeah, so you were, you were kind of in the same boat because you were a lot younger than a lot of the dudes in the Holy Mess. So how did that come about? Well, Steve-O obviously um, was with my sister. So, I mean, I knew him since I was 12 and I remember the exact conversation. So it was originally Foacha. If you remember, I uh, do the, the three piece and uh, Steve started playing bass in Foacha and they started to branch out and we're thinking about adding another guitar player and they were searching. And I remember the conversation. They were like, oh, we have a sick guitar player that is in our house every day. So they just like extended the offer. And um, that's basically how it started. I played like one practice with them and it just obviously worked. Like I hung out with all those dudes every day for literally years before that. So. And you were in the Holy Mess for a couple of years as well, right? Yeah. So I guess I was technically the first, whatever you want to say, incarnation or whatever of the Holy Mess. It was uh, myself, Ryan, which was Rob's brother, Rob, and then Steve-O. So we were the first four piece part of the Holy Mess. But I mean, if you want to get technical, when we really started being the Holy Mess is when we got Yasko. That right. Was, and what year was that? That was around 2006, I want to think. I want to say because reclamation from bigwig had come out and then mm -hmm. bigwig broke up again yeah <laughs> yeah bigwig broke up again and then yasko kind of like was done with it and then joined the holy mess and then that's kind of like when we started to take off and do our thing so when did you exit the holy mess so the first the first little album came out and then i wrote part of the songs in the second album but before the second album actually came out was when i left so okay. i was probably like 18 maybe like we were went on tour with the menzingers and then after that i was like no nah, it's just not my my thing so when you left did you join another band or what route did you take after that i kind of just left and started doing my own thing um i didn't join another band until a couple years after that is when i met up with zach and started the whole thing big action online i was in mouth and off with bill lore before that which is a hardcore band so i, I forgot i was actually in there for a while and then, um, you know, we obviously did a little bit with that. And then Think Big was the next pretty serious band that I was in. So literally just now I uploaded episode four, which was with Zach. 
So we talk about think big. So we talked a little bit in his interview about, I mean, it's a similar format when you started playing guitar, when you started your first band, we talked about think big because you actually went to Europe with them, right? Yeah. Because you had just joined the band. Pretty, yeah. Close couple to- months before that. Yeah. That was basically the whole reason. Like, um, if I'm not, if I remember correct, it was like 2012. So if I, if I remember correctly, Dan and Brian at the time, like came up to me and they needed like a bassist because like back and forth stuff and they were booking that tour and then I joined and then we went. So what do you remember about that tour? Cause Zach was telling me it was about two weeks. It was supposed to be mainland Europe, but then the, the routing got changed to only be in the UK. But how was the tour overall? Uh, I mean, dude, I, I wore shoes the entire time. That's number one. I didn't take my shoes off that entire time because I didn't know if I was going to have to run or what, bro. It was like, there was times, man, where it was sketchy. It was awesome. It was super fun. Um, That's an experience that I would never want to trade. I feel like a lot of the, we got the run around some and certain points, like I'm sure Zach will tell you too, but it was definitely fun. We played some awesome shows. We uh, ate at this place called Weatherspoons, which was like the most American UK bar of all time. And it was the only place we had Wi-Fi. And I think I ate a cheeseburger for every meal the entire two weeks we were there. Yeah. But it, it was that was dude, that was the sickest part, honestly, was like we all hung out in uh, Weatherspoons. But I didn't take my shoes off. That's a, I swear to God, did not take my shoes off the entire time. So what about what about the uh, the tour was sketchy? Some of the places we they like try to have us stay in were weird. Uh, the one show it was towards like the end of the tour we ended up um in like Manchester, and it was like this house show that they I don't know it was weird man like the inside of it was just like super weird. The guys we were with were sketchy. It was actually funny because a couple years later the Menzingers got robbed in that same neighborhood that we were in. Like literally maybe a year and a half after we were there. It was just like a weird place. So I think it was me, Zach, and Lamont. No, might have slept in the car, or maybe it was me and Dan. I don't remember. But some of us slept in the car, and some of us slept in the uh, the apartment. But, dude, it was weird. There was, like, way too many people that were staying in that apartment, and, like, the one group of dudes were just, like, sketchy. Like, I felt like they were going to steal our stuff. It was weird, man. Bad vibes there, but <laughs> the, the rest was cool. I went to the U.K. once. I went with – patent pending and the suburban legends and the thing that i remember the most the shows were huge but i remember the kids like kids would go on tour with you and they'd follow you and they'd purchase every piece of merch and it was just it was a culture around music that i wasn't used to totally different over there they love it they They love love it it. like they actually and i'm not trying to shit on the states but it's a very different vibe over there and if you get a chance to tour the UK, I would say do it because it'll open your eyes up to music again and kind of give you faith if you didn't Dude, have absolutely. it anymore. Yeah, like the I remember the one show we played, there's like kids like screaming the words and it's like, how the hell do you guys even know? Why? First of all, why are we here? Second of all, how do you know the words to our songs? The girls, like they treated us like we were like these huge celebrities. It was so weird. Same thing happened to me. I was over there tour managing. And I remember some kid was like, you signed my record. I was like, you know, I'm the help, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I have nothing to do with this for the most part. Like, like everybody's partying and having fun and I'm sitting in a little office crunching yeah. numbers. So yeah. yeah, they like, you're, nobody's going to know my name. You don't no. want my, you're like, come on. 
and then it like but, became a thing where they're like taking pictures of me. I'm like, all right, I, I'll eat this up. But at the dude, same at time, point, like, yeah. At that point, you got to live it up, man. You got to. But that's what we're here for, right? But yeah. So after, though. after that tour ends, you fly back to the states. Think big, pretty much breaks up right right after that, right? Not too much uh, further after that. Like I left the band. I was all over the place at that point. Like I was like living in Richmond, Virginia, with like my girlfriend kind of at the time um so i just like wasn't really in pa ever nick ended up joining the band i know they played like a couple more shows but it didn't last too much longer after after that whole thing so it might be overlapping some timing but all the while you were always writing music you were always writing beats you were programming music you were kind of creating stuff of your own when did that come into play? Was that just something to keep you busy when you weren't touring or when you weren't playing shows or how did that come about? Like, when did you first pursue that? And then when did you find out that like, you've really got something here? Uh, I mean, I've always wrote like random things. Like I've, I've been writing music that hasn't even been released since I was like 13. I've just always wrote stuff. Um, I started, I actually recorded the first Holy Mess demo in my house. So this was my parents' house that I grew up in. Uh, I basically like built a studio in my room and the garage because my the, my room was connected to the garage. So the first demo the Holy Mess ever recorded was me. Like I had like this big task and board that my dad bought me. Um, and I just kind of got into the engineering part of it then. But I been making like beats for hip-hop since i was like 13 a lot of my friends have always rapped and just been into like hip-hop culture in general so that's kind of what drove me to start doing that because my friends you gotta think about it. this is what 2003 at the time like right. it's a totally different world so you can't just you couldn't find beats then the only way to have beats was if you made them so i kind of got into it doing that and then and the thing with this podcast is the alternatives and i don't want to say that you know, everybody measures success differently, but right. I know that you've also had a lot of success with programming songs and writing your own, as opposed to going on tour and playing in actual bands. So yeah. since you've been programming music and writing beats and giving them to your friends, when did you find out that that could be kind of, I don't want to say lucrative, but that was something that was kind of a trait of yours that was desirable because uh, we'll segue into this because you ended up you know, working with Asher Roth, who did that I Love College song yeah. and and giving him beats or whatever tr transaction transpired. But when, when did that become kind of eye-opening for you of like, okay, I've got something here. This is something that could potentially work out. Kind of around that exact time. So I would just like post random things on like, uh, like SoundCloud and um, my friends like Tim and Ant from like the East Strasburg area, they were like pretty big at that time on like YouTube, like before YouTube was really YouTube with that, they were like kind of taken off. Um, and I made a beat for them that kind of got viral at that time. And that's, and then that's kind of how like the Asheroth thing came about because uh, he saw one of their songs and reached out to me. And then he had this like contest that like, I entered and basically won. And like that, that was that whole thing. Um, so he sought you out. Yeah, he sought me out. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, a, dude, it was weird. I thought it was fake, but it ended up not being fake. Um, and that was like really the only thing I did with him. But since then, I've obviously been doing a whole bunch of different stuff with hip hop, with pop people. With Just this past week, I've been literally songwriting for people that 
I never thought I'd songwrite for like every day. <laughs> so it's been, it's been pretty cool. So are you primarily right now creating beats? Are you producing? Are you doing mixing? What do you think is most time consuming for you or, or taking up the most time right now? Right now, uh, the past three days, I've been full-blown songwriting and producing um, on top of trying to do my own stuff, right? So the past three days, like straight up songwriting and producing. Uh, um, Sunday, I fully produced a song and wrote it with this girl. Uh, her name's Jacqueline Manfredi. She's like this crazy good singer from New York. She's only like 20, she's got early 20s, and she's like going to take off. Um, this girl, Annie Delgado, I was working with yesterday, it's like, superstar in the making just writing and producing has been very time consuming worth it um time consuming though for sure so what year was that that asher roth reached out to you about i would say probably around 2008 2009 something like that right around there because i'm trying to think because that i love college song came out i think when we were i think we had just finished high school when that song came out yeah so i'm thinking that's what i'm saying i think it's around 2008 2009 could be it could be wrong, but somewhere in that like early, early 2010, 2009 stage, somewhere right around there. So while you're doing this, I mean, as we talked about in the, the, the little intro we had, life happened. You've got kids now. You have a house. You've got your own home studio. But then rec- I don't want to say recently, but you come in and you're a heavy hitter with all these singles. So you have songs that you've been releasing, you have music videos, you have a line of merch. So walk me through that because I don't want to say things were stagnant because you were doing things for everybody else on the back end. But when did you sit down and say, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to do this for myself for once. Dude, honestly, quarantine. Um, I've always been pretty, I would say, I don't know if self-conscious is the right word, but I've always been kind of weird with how, people perceive my music in general like dude i've written hundreds of songs that nobody's ever gonna hear and nobody ever heard besides eliza and my sisters maybe right so and i always would put it off mentally just to to release my own stuff not necessarily afraid of the failure of it but just kind of like do people really care right so when quarantine happened i didn't really have an excuse anymore i was sitting in my house with all my gear with nothing to do but be a dad and what it was I literally had nothing else to do so that's when I did the whole doubt it thing um I had that song written in 2017 actually that song was completely written in 2017 uh but I like produced it out in like a day and recorded it and was like all right I guess like let's see what happens and release that thing and it's been a year now, which is crazy, but yeah. I'd and you had an awesome that. response. Yeah, dude. Uh, way like, so everything I've re- released has been, I've gotten way better of a response than I would ever think. Uh, but I mean, it's been great, man. I really, I really enjoy it because now people are seeing the whole, a whole different side of what I'm capable of. I think what I like about the music industry now is that you don't need to release full records and push it. You don't need filler. You don't need to stress a release. You don't even need to build up to a release because of the convenience of, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. There's a convenience to it. However, I think it's nice that you aren't forced to just put something out in mass. You can literally go in and say, okay, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to release this single i'm gonna see how this does i'm gonna shop this around and that's pretty much what you've been doing yeah for sure um 
trust me, I want to release an album, but the way the music industry is now is most people don't even care about albums, right? Like, and the way Spotify and Apple music and the algorithms work with that, where they're going to, they're going to push the one song that's getting the most traction. And then the rest of it's kind of going to fall to the wayside unless you're Justin Bieber. You know what I mean? Unless you have this humongous following, it's not really worth it for you to push that all at one time, especially because with those Spotify for artists is like the back page that you have as an artist releasing music. Um, And you get one song that you can pitch to the Spotify team to see if they're going to throw it on a, like a exclusive Spotify playlist. Right. So if you release a whole album, you can only pick one song. Right. So it makes more sense to throw every song out there. Cause what if that song you pitch isn't the one, like what if that's not the one, but then you have two other songs that they might've used the whole album thing. Just, it just doesn't make sense for, up and coming or indie artists. I was just having this conversation with Zach just about the music industry and where things are at now, because he was asking me, he's like, do you know if there's even an underground scene anymore? And I said, I think that's more of a question for you because you work at the Sherman. I'm not the one booking shows. I mean, I'm not hanging out with 15 year old kids. So I don't know if kids are picking up instruments because when we were kids, everybody had a band. And somebody was throwing a party or they rented out a fire hall or Jesse was having shows at the castle. It was, it was a very DIY mentality, but I don't know if in the Poconos or the, if, if that really exists anymore. Dude, I think in general, it doesn't honestly with like any genre of music, it's not like a prominent thing anymore because of social media and YouTube and things like that. Like people can go totally different avenues with music now where you don't have to play some kid's basement although i believe that they should i agree you don't have like it's not nobody's doing that anymore well and and even like on your behalf you probably if you didn't want to would never have to play a live show right exactly like it's so especially now right especially with what's going on now it's so you see so many shows few and far between and um even like in that genre anyway right it's very hard to imagine myself playing a pop show in like underground. I, I think it would be great. I wish I could, but those avenues aren't really there. They're not really there for that. Well, I think of two, I don't think kids are as eager to learn an instrument now because they don't have to. There's no instant <clears throat> gratification in learning how to play guitar or learning how to play drums. You have right. to get better at it but a kid can pick up a MacBook and download Fruity Loops or download something and figure out how to program it and have a result within a couple hours. For sure. And I think that instant gratification is a blessing and a curse because it's super cool and kids are doing awesome things with it. But I think that this is going to be long-term more significant as far as maybe causing damage. For sure. Dude, there's this, there's this program. Um, it's a VST instrument. It's called superior drummer free. It's better than any drummer I've ever met in my life. Aside from maybe Yasko. Like it's insane. It has drum sounds sampled from like 1960s kits, 1970s kits. And it's like the best sounding real drums ever. And it's literally just a MIDI file you plug in and it's insane. It's literally insane. Like the, if you, there's no need for kids to start a band like that. Like you could literally record a full album, bass, guitar, drums, vocals in your house. 
And then if you want to play a show, then you find the people to play the instruments, but it's, it's weird. It's, Dude, it, it's different. <clears throat> it's wild to think about though, because I look at it this way. If kids aren't picking up guitars, they're not buying guitars. So mm-hmm. in time, the guitar manufacturer falls by the wayside. Yeah. And, and it's almost this, I hate the word trickle down, but it's like this snowball of shit that could, yeah. that, that could potentially go south. And it's, I mean, who knows how soon that'll actually happen because I could be very wrong. I mean, we just got back from Nashville and the dream is very much still alive down there to play live music in a band. Oh, dude, there's a billion people. My uh, friend, Caleb, he's like a signed songwriter with like Pierre Nashville. And he's a... Uh, yeah, I know who he is. He's from, yeah, you know uh, he's from Western PA. Yeah, yeah. You know Caleb, he used to play yeah. in uh, Kelsey and the Chaos briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He um has a studio down there. He mixes and masters all my songs. Like, yeah, he'll tell me some stuff, man. There's cur- there's so many people down there. Uh, so it's definitely still alive down there, but it's always been. And right. it'll never disappear there. Uh, right. It'll never disappear there. But there's so many fish in that pond. I know I know some people that moved down there that moved back because I think the, the dream kind of slapped them in the face a little bit. But I mean, the competition there is huge. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah, where everybody's going. Yeah. It's different. You could be a big fish in a small pond up here, but you're down there and you're dealing with, you know, Luke Bryan base. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, not yeah. him exactly, but you're dealing with people who are on that caliber caliber of, of talent. So. Well, I feel like down there, there's no in between. It's either yeah. huge or not. Right. And there's no mediocre success. There's no making it work. You're either doing it or you're not. Right. You know what I mean? And oh, it's, and there's people that have been down there for 10 years that are barely scratching the surface. So people that go down there, like you really, it's not, you're not going to do it overnight. You really gotta, you gotta want it and you gotta really want it. What I like is that every bar venue or whatever you want to call it down there has live music on every single floor. However, that's all fine, well, and good, but a lot of the bands are working for tips. It's a Venmo QR mm-hmm. code. Yeah. And then they're taking requests and then you can, you can donate, which is fine. But then, then think about, so you have your opening bands, but think about the band that gets booked at like 1130 in the morning. Yeah. So you, so you took the opportunity to play, but now there's no one here. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a catch 22. <laughs> it is. It really is. You almost got to like, just hope that, you know, the owner of that bar knows somebody and he's like oh man this guy that just played here this afternoon is really good like you gotta you kind of you gotta go down there with the attention of literally just networking that's got to be like your your main focus obviously playing music and being good at it but the networking part gets overlooked a lot yeah we saw a lot of cool bands down there and and you know cover bands and it was a lot of fun what was cool for us is that we hadn't seen live music since before the shutdown right so to go down there and see that bands are playing and bars are packed i mean is it scary yeah but it's also very cool yeah, to see that it's absolutely. that it's still happening so you know there's pros and cons to that for sure it's pretty re- they haven't been open for too long now have they well down there man i don't i'm not gonna get into the whole covid talk because it's not my place but right it's like it doesn't even exist <laughs> yeah true that is true you know what i mean it's like I'm walking around with a mask and everybody's staring at me like I'm the weirdo. I guess now that I think about it, yeah, they kind of opened up pretty quick, but I mean, 
I know a lot of people that lost so much income down there. So, I mean, hey, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But I mean, there's even a stage in Taco Bell down there. <laughs> Dude, I mean, that might be the best idea I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, really, like they need to bring that up here, like a Baja Blast and some freaking music, bro. Come on. Like what? Like what are we doing here? Yeah. Can you imagine getting booked at Taco Bell for two thirty? You know. Listen, dude, have some lunch. I'll do yeah. it right now. That's a great idea. I think we're onto something. You write for Asher Roth. You do a couple tours. You start writing your own stuff. What's next for you? What do you? What's and I, of course it might be too soon to share, but what's uh, what's in your pipeline? Do you have some songs that you're, you're writing up for yourself? What's because uh, I know you've also released some merch. You know what I mean? You've been all over Instagram, which I love of the surveys and would you like this and who likes this design over this? So you're heavily involved in that and kind of creating that audience. But what's next for you? Um, I mean, I got I got a song that is releasing soon. Can't say when, but it's releasing soon. Um, I've been doing the songwriting stuff, man. I'm working with this company called uh, Grassfed and like they're just kind of feeding me some artists that they work with and uh getting my name more out there as a songwriter within like the pop industry. And I got some pretty uh, sizable artists that I'm working with uh, coming up soon. Um, And then, yeah, just trying to pump out more music for myself um, and merch. The merch thing is crazy. Like I've sold more merch as a solo artist than I think I've ever had in any band, which is just (laughs) mind boggling to me, but it's, it's cool at the same time. I was going to say, that's a pretty cool feeling, though, that people are receptive and they're acknowledging what you're doing and it's selling out right away. The weirdest, yeah. Like, the, I came out with that Roses song and I released a sweatshirt and 12 hours it was gone, which is nutty to me. But 12 hours it was gone. Um, and it's just weird now, like, having, like, fans, fans. Not, like, you know, people who, like, you kind of know from the scene that are, like, into your band, right? Um, but having like legitimate fans of people that I've never talked to in my life that are like following me on Instagram and messaging me and saying like, oh, this song helped me get over my boyfriend. I'm like, that's awesome. Like I wrote that in my underwear at like 3.30 in the morning. Like that's cool though. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a cool, it's definitely like a cool feeling, uh, but also weird because if you know me, dude, you've known me for 15 years like uh, uh-huh. it's, you know if you know me it's just kind of like what <laughs> what but you know, it's funny it's, cool. you say, it's funny you say that though about true fans when i was interviewing um cliff for episode two we were talking about growing up and playing in bands and we're like you know every time you played a show the majority of the time you were just playing to the other bands uh, yeah you know like 95 percent of the time yeah maybe you know you book a five band show and the majority of the audience is every other band so it's you know, it, whether you miss the set or not, you're going to see them next weekend. So gauging how well you're doing or the traction that you're getting is almost slim to none in a local scene. Absolutely. And it was such a different time then too. It's like, how do you ever really gauge how good you're doing until a booking agent wants to put you on a show with so-and-so, you know what I mean? But now it's so much different to gauge the success, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what happened with Pull the Pin, too. I feel like a lot of the tours that we did, they were all for the same markets because we knew we would do well. Right. We would go out to Long Island and then we'd go out to Cleveland and then we'd go out to Chicago. And like, and those shows were always re- really great because we knew that people would show up. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. So it's, you kind of gauge it from there, but you're right. I mean, it's 
even now, I mean, I, I'm kind of eager to see where things go musically. I want to see what venues closed, what venues opened. Is there going to be oversaturation in booking? Because I mean, you know how it is booking tours. It's, it's a hold date. And if, if somebody comes in and somebody more significant than you and they want that date, it's a business and venues have been closed for a year and a half. Yeah. They're going to take, they're obviously going to take somebody who's going to bring them in more money because it's a business. Right. So yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, I know a lot of venues are closing, trying to stay open. Uh, It's definitely going to be interesting because like you said, are they going to just immediately take the people that are bigger? Like, so I think it's going to be like a, like a war almost, you know what I mean? Like to to try to get your place. But I mean, that venue just opened up what two years ago, a year and a half in Easton um, Mm -hmm. that like kind of took the place of the Lehigh Valley, like big show area. Like center, the one in the circle. Yeah. 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 But I haven't really heard any, I don't know what, if they're planning on doing anything or what, but I haven't heard anything come out from them. Like, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think, I think that, the small guy who plays the bar is going to be fine. And absolutely. And live nation of course is going to be fine because they're publicly traded. They have the income they have, they can make it happen for me. I worry about the in-between some of the more independent music venues because that's, what's going to be very telling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like the big guys, they're always going to be fine. And the bar guys, man, like they, they might have, they might have the best job in the world, to be honest. Um, Agreed. All they they love playing music, right? And they're getting paid pretty nicely to play mm-hmm. like Friday night, Saturday night. So they might really have the best job in the music business if that's what they want to do. If they're trying to like do other things, that might not be the avenue. But if you just really enjoy playing music and getting paid for it, like they're going to be good. They're good. Yeah, it's almost like a guaranteed income because a lot of those bars are like, oh, I'll pay 500 bucks because I know what we're going to make in drinks. Yeah, it, that's nothing to them, you know, especially now, right? Especially now. So, uh, knowing like just the other day, uh, last weekend, we were at like Copperhead, we drove past like to pick up food. And, um, this one kid I know was actually, I saw him out there playing and the whole patio was like packed, just like listening to him play. And he definitely made some money for sure. And I mean, listen, that's the route to go if you want, if you want to make money doing music and can't hate on it, right? No, I, I, I mean, kids doing more than I am. So I can't, <laughs> I can't say a word. I'll never shit on anybody for that. Never. No. Um, we drove down to Asbury Park. I'll, I'll admit this because I don't give a shit. Because Limp Biscuit was touring. <laughs> Dude. I know, I know. Limp, I Biscuit, Limp Biscuit does like major festivals in the UK or nothing. I know, I saw. And we were on the boardwalk. And I remember it's 5.30, doors are at 6. And I'm thinking to myself, nobody's sound checking. I don't hear anything. Yeah, you knew. And yeah. 5.30, I get that, that email. I'm sorry, the show's been postponed for safety issues and all this other shit. And now it's one of those things where we were having this conversation. It's almost like you can't get your hopes up for a show. That's the nah. risk you take in purchasing a ticket now. I know. Did you see what they said though recently? Like no, yesterday? No. They're like, oh uh, yeah, so uh we're all fine, but um we're coming out with an album. <laughs> like, okay, cool, I guess. Like what? <laughs> I'm gonna go on record and say it. Nobody gives a fuck about another no, Biscuit record. No, no, nobody cares. Like they I, wanted to see you live, man. Like, come I'm, on. 
I wanted to see Fred Durst dressed up as somebody's weird uncle. Yep. I wanted to see Wes Borland do whatever the fuck he does. Yep. I wanted to hear anything from $3 bill y'all. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wanted to go home. Yeah. That's it. Like you're not going to buy that Limp Bizkit album and be like, you know, let's have some wine, listen to Limp Bizkit tonight. Like no, <laughs> we're not, we're not doing that. And I'm sure as hell not going to buy any merch because if anybody <laughs> ever sees me in a Limp Bizkit t-shirt, I'd be fucking mortified. Dude, it's yeah. I mean, bad bad look but yeah that's what they said dude. i think it actually might have been yesterday or the day before but i i laughed because honestly i immediately thought of you i was like damn you're not <laughs> a lot of missed people, it too not a lot of people that would admit that but i was like fuck it we're going yeah dude i laughed so hard when i saw you going to that but listen it was it would have been fun i can't it, i can't hate it would have been fun i would have went i was more pissed that we got a hotel room for the weekend and big yeah dude i lost like i lost 1500 bucks <laughs> what a time what a time so fred durst if you ever hear this i want my fucking 1500 bucks back stop with the album give gavin his money yeah i don't know what record labels fronting uh the recording cost but why don't you tweak that budget a little bit hey, let's be honest though, like how much money does it cost to record olympus album can't be that much at this point can't I mean, be that much yeah, the, the budget's dwindling for that band. <laughs> so, so I don't know. We'll see, though. Yeah, you're either. I mean, I look at bands that, that are coming out of the woodwork and touring, and I'm like, you're either really broke yeah, or you're really broke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the broke because, I mean, yeah, I don't know. So let's do this because I'm going to, of course, on this episode, I'm definitely going to feature one of your new songs because that's what we're here to do. We're here to not only talk about the alternatives in music like you producing, but I also want to plug your current project. So we'll make sure sure that the listeners can have access to your Instagram. They can find you on Spotify. They can find a link for your music videos, your merch. I'm going to feature one of the songs at the end of the episode, which is of your choice. Sweet. But before we finish this up, there's some fun yet controversial questions that I like to ask because, you know, I like to, I like to dig into your taste of music. Absolutely. I have an idea of what it is, but you know, some of these are kind of fun. Some of them are controversial. Some of them, you know, result in trolls and some hate mail. Oh dude, I live for the controversy. Live for it. So this started with, you know, a group of friends and just asking them, you know, bands in history that you know their contribution to music you know how successful they are you know how good of songwriters they are but it just doesn't do it for you and i've always said like led zeppelin i'm not the biggest fan of radiohead i'm not (laughs) i'm not the biggest fan of weezer uh and i asked my brother and he was like zeppelin and elvis and dude, I hate Elvis, but yeah that's a whole nother and i asked zach the other day and zach was like dude the Beatles. So what, what, what are, what are some of those artists for you? I do. I hate Bruce Springsteen with a burning passion. Like I just, I hate him, dude. Like I can't even, I can't even look at him, let alone like listen to his voice. I can't do it. Like the music is cool, man, but his voice drives me insane. And my sister and Richie love him. And like, dude, I won't let you No, nah, not in my house. We're not, no, not on vacation. Nowhere. It's not happening, bro. I can't stand Bruce Springsteen, dude. I can't. And I hope I get burned for that, but I honestly, with a burning passion, can't not do it. And I've tried so many times, like in the car, like 
drunk, whatever, like, like on vacation. I try to listen to them and it just does nothing. Here's the way I look at it, right? You can't, <laughs> nobody can really hate on you for saying like, it's, it's like that thing. You respect it. You understand. Yeah. You want, you understand. Oh yeah. Their success speaks for themselves, but it just doesn't do it. Absolutely. You. Live show top notch, probably right. one of the best live shows ever, but would I go? Absolutely. It's kind of like the way I look at country. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of country to listen to it, but I've been to country shows and it's probably the most fun concerts I've ever been to, to be honest. But I'm just not going to put it on and like enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to lie. The older I've gotten, I've found, I don't want to call it a love because that's aggressive, but I have a, <laughs> I have a newfound appreciation for, for country not the pop stuff about driving tractors and partying in trucks and wearing cutoff jeans. That shit is for the birds. But I have a right. new, found a pre, newfound appreciation for some country and the artists. I mean, they're doing it. Absolutely. Dude, the country songwriters, like some of them are like really good. Yeah. Like, really good. Joe. Joe. Very good at writing country, like yeah. very good. And Rob, Robert so, too. The two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah, I was a couple days ago, a week ago. He like posted some song here, and it's like, what? You guys should be doing this from since the beginning. Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, they're both very, very, very good. And obviously, I mean, their success is going to speak for that. But yeah. they're very good. Very I've good. actually been reaching out to Robert about getting an interview scheduled because that's that's what he does now man he's he just sits down with a writing group and he's got a pen and paper and he goes at it yeah i mean and they're they're cranking out some good songs for sure yeah and uh i'm sure it's gonna lead to very nice things and i hope sure i hope so because i feel like those dudes have really stayed the course and paid their dues They've earned it. I was just going to say, they've definitely paid their dues with that. Like yeah. they, they've earned it for sure. And I feel that way about Rob too. I mean, when I found out that Rob was asked to join Bowling for Soup, I was super excited for him because yeah, absolutely. there was a time frame in Rob's career that I remember because I was also in Pull the Pin where he was in Pull the Pin. He was co-writing with Freshman 15. He was playing guitar and patent pending, but he was also playing drums in the Atari. Drums in the Ataris, Yep. <laughs> And he was literally never home. And he was literally like trying to make four bands work. And I admire him for it because he was playing, he was playing drums in the Ataris. He was playing guitar. He was doing bass. He, he was doing everything. So yeah, I mean, he's always been like that. Like, I, yeah. I think I met Rob when I was like 12 or 13. And because uh, Ted, right. Split 50, that whole thing. Um, yeah, dude, Rob's always been a grinder with that stuff. I remember going to Penn State and uh, sleeping in his, in his dorm, and he was, like, running around in the Spider-Man costume. Like, yeah. yeah, Rob's a wild man. Great guy. So, so that's so I first met Rob when I was – I think this is 2002. He was in shortwave radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I saw them play a benefit, and then – Years had gone by and I saw, I saw pull the pin open up for split 50 at the sanctuary. So this is probably like 2004. And then I hadn't seen him. And then all of a sudden I saw city and state and he was playing drums for them. And to me, that band blew me away. Dude, such a good band that nobody knows ever, but such a good band. Because I remember that because I think Matt who played, I think his name is Matt, who was playing guitar in that band, later went on to play guitar in No Service Project. Yeah, yeah. 
so it was like a bunch of those dudes from like the coal region that were creating these killer bands yeah there was matt though matt c yeah. yep yep because i think i saw i'm trying to think because i know you mentioned Foacha. i saw Foacha with amrev 2 at the strand <laughs> in like 2000 i want to say it was like 2004 or 5 do you remember that band too i do and i also remember the strand yeah. Do, baby. yeah it was like that that <laughs> roller fun. rink on the top floor yeah. like dance studio who knows what it was yeah i think it was something like that it had like terrible stairs if i remember correctly oh it sure did yeah <laughs> yeah i thought so yeah. so what you hate so you hate bruce springsteen who else who else do i hate um i wouldn't say i hate anybody as much as i hate bruce springsteen i'm definitely not not too big into the Rolling Stones. Um, they're tolerable, though, I will say. Okay. Elvis, though, I can't stand Elvis. I think he's miserable. And I think he stole a lot of stuff. That's Dylan's I, argument, I too. Think, yeah, I really do. I think he he kind of stole a sound and, and became Elvis because of it. But I would say Bruce is my number one. If he's on anywhere, I just got to leave or put headphones in. So we've both played enough shows. We're fans of a lot of different artists. One of my favorite questions is great band with terrible fans. So <laughs> one that comes to mind for me is like the Dropkick Murphys. I was, dude, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like, it's, it's a whole different culture. Like yeah. drop, like, yeah. I mean, very, very strange fan base. Very strange fan base. It's like cops that think they're punk and only wear kilts one night a year when yeah, you see it, them live. Right. I mean, you could say ICP might be great in some people's eyes, but they definitely have the most interesting fan base ever of all time. Here's the thing, man. Shaggy Too Dope and Violent J are marketing geniuses. Geniuses. Yeah, without a doubt. They put their name on everything. They started their own label and they created a culture a cult-like following absolutely that is still booming it'll never die either that will it, live on forever because it's become its own personality right like you could be a you're you're just a juggalo now like that's yeah. the thing you know like they barely do anything anymore like music wise but like you're still a juggalo like do you ever see those documentaries about juggalos oh yeah incredible yeah like the, what is it the gathering or whatever they call yeah, it yeah at the like the full the carnival out in the midwest yeah. oh yeah Dude, that's wild stuff genius so that's like the only fan base that you'll ever see that from but you know what though i guarantee at the gathering there's no fights no there's no hostility there's no bullshit there's no violence because those people look out for each other it's all of there they say that in those documentaries yeah like they have like head jugglers that will like stop that. Like you'll yeah. get kicked out. <laughs> like well, the last casualty show I went to, two people got stabbed, but you guys love yeah, that band. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I'll never under that's like kind of how the hardcore scene was for a super long time. You know what I'm saying? With like uh it's like crew it was, against crew, it was like strong island yeah, like, against five seven oh. Yeah, like it it was always kind of like territorial, which is weird, like it's music any musical guilty pleasures. And I hate saying that because if you like it, you like it, but are there things that you like that you're like, not afraid to admit to, but you think would catch somebody off guard? Uh, dude, the other day I was listening to, um, there's this 
Disney movie that my daughter watches called the the Descendants, <laughs> and it's about like the uh, the children of like all these like uh, villains, and they have like this killer soundtrack. And I'm not ashamed. They have a killer soundtrack, and it's written by the geniuses. Like the Disney songwriters might be the best songwriters ever. And uh, dude, they have this song called "Chillin' Like a Villain." I like urge you to listen to this later. Like you're gonna listen to it and be like, what? <laughs> this is should be like a pop hit, but that like as like a, a a weird one. But I mean, I listen to like literally so much pop music that if you would have talked to me when we were a teenager, I would have never, right? Like I would have never listened to it. But I've gotten such an appreciation for pop music, like writing it myself and how complex it actually is. Like if you really if you produce it and you really really listen to like the melodies and it might only be four chords, but some of the producers know how to take that away from you're not really realizing that it's just four chords. Right. So I've gotten such an appreciation for pop music now that it's, I just love it. I think mine is like dance music. Dude. I, there's not really anything that I'll listen to and be embarrassed of because I love music so much that especially writing it myself now for myself, it has such like a, a deeper meaning now that like any music I'll appreciate. Like obviously some of it's bad, but (laughs) you know, like I like Ace of Base. I I don't really like admitting that because I think homeboys a Nazi, but probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing specifically though that I'm, I I would be ashamed because I'm not even ashamed of the Disney thing. I'm like the coolest dad around. And my daughter wants to blast the descendant soundtrack in my Jeep when we're freaking flying down the highway. Like, let's we're gonna we're gonna party on little girl you know what i'm saying so that's the best parent teacher conference ever dude (laughs) i i'm i'm a little nervous for parent teacher conferences because my daughter says some things sometimes i'm like oh man you listen to everything i say huh can you give me an example dude (laughs) the other day i this i swear on everything um she looked at me in a lot and she's like so like do you guys have sex i was like First of all, why do you even know what? How do you know what that is? And she doesn't know what it is, but she like has heard the word before. So, I mean, she's way smarter than she should be for being six. Like she'll, she asks like questions like, oh, so like, why do people think the world's flat? It's obviously not. Listen, I don't know. <laughs> Cause they're not smart. I, I don't know. <laughs> like she's just very, uh, she says some crazy things that, I know at some point a teacher's gonna want to talk to us about something. I mean, we'll it's see. a cra- it's a crazy time to be alive, especially with it as a child. Like the conspiracy theories are flowing. Oh, dude, they're all over the place. And like at, with a little brain, like if somebody tells you something, the one thing though, like if somebody tries to tell her Santa, like Santa Claus isn't real, I gotta whisper because she's upstairs. But if somebody tries to tell her that, dude, I'm gonna snap because seeing a kid love santa claus is one of the coolest things ever yeah i'm sure it's like that buildup of like getting the pictures taken or like yeah. even like to see how kids react to an elf on the shelf dude she we have two elves now because uh we surprised her with like another one last year and when she saw the first like the second one come for the first time it was like the craziest thing in her eyes it's hilarious so because when she's like you know a couple years from now she's gonna realize and it's gonna be hilarious because i tie him to like the fan or like I'll put them outside or like in the microwave. It's hilarious. So I got two more questions for you because I don't want to keep you all night. I know you got shit to do. 
you write music, you produce music, but who are your, if you could, who are your top five producers? Uh, number one, without a question, uh, his name is John Bellion. So he's from New York. He, he releases his own music and he has like a cult following. You've heard a John Bellion written and produced song and you have, you don't even know it. This dude is so in, like, he doesn't even want people to know like the every there's seven songs on that Justin Bieber album uh, that were written and produced by John Bellion. And he'll barely won't even tell you like three of the new Miley Cyrus songs were written by John Bellion. Um, he's crazy. He's there's videos of him creating uh, songs on YouTube, uh, his song called guillotine. And you just see like how his brain works. It's insane. Um, so he's definitely number one for sure. Without a doubt in, in all genres, he wrote, uh, the you know that monster song with Eminem and Rihanna like yeah. came out like years ago. He wrote that chorus like he for like yeah. He writes so many songs that people have no idea about, and he's like just going to Greece with his family. Nobody's ever seen his wife because like they don't post pictures. It's nuts, dude. He uh listen to him for sure. Like you'll definitely like him. He raps. He sings pop. He writes folk music. Like he's he's crazy talented. I would say he's one like bar none. Julia Michaels, she's another pop. She's like a pop singer. She's pretty huge, uh, but she writes crazy songs for people. Melodies are insane. Uh, this guy named J.P. Sachs, he's like another pop. He's, they're actually dating. He's like a crazy songwriter. There's just so many pop songwriters right now. Charlie Poof, who's probably like the biggest pop songwriter alive. Like he's a crazy jazz pianist. And me being who I am and my grandfather being in jazz bands and my grandmother being in jazz bands in new york city uh like that jazz music holds a special place for me so he's he's crazy but i would say definitely those four best show you've ever been to whether it was the performance whether it was the lineup can you recall one of your favorite shows that you've ever attended my favorite show probably ever um it was a hardcore show it was ruiner verse have heart one other crazy band that uh wasn't big at the time i can't remember who it was but it was like the nuttiest show and probably the most fun jesse went to it with me it was one of the nuttiest like most fun everybody was like it wasn't one of those hardcore shows where like people were like hating on each other and it it was really really fun other than that uh i saw john mayer live twice and it was nuts just to watch him play guitar like in person was and i think i was in the second row for the one of the shows and it was you don't realize how good that dude is at guitar until you're a couple feet away from him it's ridiculous i saw john mayer oof, i want to say this is 2005 um with the counting crows mm. and they i mean i'm not a big counting crows fan but they put on a great show too yeah i it saw john awesome. mayer with train oh all right and i didn't know it was train at the time like i didn't know that that was going on but then they played that drops of jupiter song and that's like oh these guys these guys get down a little bit huh and then yeah john came out and just was soloing his ass off like wild 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 guitar player where was that ruiner show at i feel like it was in philly okay but it wasn't at the church it was at some random place have heart wasn't like the massive have heart that they became i'm pretty sure verse actually headlined that show trying to think like one of the last shows i went to in philly it was a secret show and it was with paint it black and the loved ones i feel like i was there 
I definitely was there. It was at yep. uh, the Terror Dome, they called it. It was like a house. Yes. Yeah. Dude, what a, oh, man. Let me see if I got one more question for you, just because I think it, it's, it's kind of fun. So I had my brother on here, and Dylan recently did a full merch line and the record cover for the new 18 Visions record. So if you, yeah, could, if you could pick your favorite record cover as far as the art goes, what would you say it is? Honestly, uh, take off your pants and jacket might be my favorite album art ever because it's so simple, but like that sticks in your brain, that one, specifically that one, obviously like Enema of the State does because of the girl, but take off your pants and jacket. Like it just, there's something about it. I don't know. It's simple. Yeah, it is simple. Mine is a uh, corn follow the leader. That's a good one too. I wish like album art was like taken more seriously now. Like yeah, when I, I, I try to like put my single art and like make it like interesting to say the least, like my latest one, like I brought a couch into the woods with balloons. Like I saw, but it's great. Yeah. It's like, I tried to make it like eye, eye catching. So I wish people like really, really took it seriously. Is there a fact in music or anything that you've learned about a band or an artist you're a fan of that like broke your heart? Like whether it was something you learned about them or you learned about a record. Can you think of anything like that? And the only reason I bring it up is because I remember I was on tour with the Ataris and we were driving probably through the Southwest and I was talking about Blake and I was talking about their record or whatever. And I was talking about the live record and Chris Rowe goes, what live record? And I was like, oh, they did like the Mark, Tom and Travis show or whatever. And he's like, that's not live. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that it was like sampled from shows, but it was recorded in a studio and sold as a live show. And it crushed me. Dude, I didn't even know that till just now. That's <laughs> yeah. bullshit. <laughs> and I remember hearing that and my fucking heart sank. Uh, no, nothing like crazy specific but the first time i learned that the lead singer of thin lizzy was the bass player that threw me for a loop so i was like damn because in my brain i was just like i thought he was one of those guitar players that was killing it and then singing because thin lizzy is bar none my favorite oh. my favorite band of all time dude so when i honestly like that one kind of threw me for a loop because i was like damn he's just plays the bass like what because like come on bro bass is cool sorry Corey, but like you, you know, I played bass and thing fig. Like, I get it. Like, it's cool. But I really thought he was he was a good like one of the lead guitar players singing because in my brain at that time, I, I when I was younger. So I really only pictured lead singers being guitar players as weird as that is. I love that hard times where it's like, I don't care, Paul McCartney. You're still a bass player and I have no respect for you. <laughs> right like come on like, what are we saying here <laughs> you know what i mean like so that one really kind of was like what the hell because that dude thin lizzy incredible can't say a bad thing about thin lizzy aside what? from the bass player being the singer but whatever if the boys are gonna fight you better let them <laughs> yeah i mean listen couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> so let's do this man i want you to let everybody know what you're doing next what of what songs of yours to check out? Like I said, I'm going to post a song at the end of this to kind of close the episode, but this is your opportunity to kind of plug what you're doing, where to find you and go from there. So take the floor, let us know what's going on and, 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 and kind of what you have coming up. Uh, I got a new song coming out in about a month. Um, going to announce it. 
probably in a week or so. Uh, my latest song is called You Ruin My Favorite Movie. Um, that's like the most me of a song ever. Uh, you could find me. My name's Dominic James on literally everything. Uh, underscore Dominic James underscore on Instagram. Dominic James on Spotify. I mean, just listen to my music and you'll you'll enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, that sucks, but you probably will. I don't think there's any reason not to. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really just try to write pop music, but that it's relatable. It's storytelling. It's not just bubblegum pop music. Like if you really listen to the lyrics, like I'm pretty sure you at some point in your life, you related to something I said there. I think what's cool with this is that, is it at a very small level now? Yes. However, we have listeners now in Poland and in Germany and throughout Canada. So even if it's somebody that hasn't heard of you and now they, and now they have, that's a win-win for me. Dude, absolutely. One fan is a fan. You know what I mean? Hands down. Well, hey, man, thanks again for your time tonight. Get back to your family. Tell Eliza I said hello. And uh, I'm going to have this up on Monday for you. Dude, it'll be good. Can't wait to listen to it. (laughs) Sounds good, man. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'll shoot you a text message after this. All right, sweet, bro. Later, dude. All right, see you, dude. There it is, episode five with Dominic James. I stand behind what I said, Fred Durst. I want my 1500 bucks back. Be sure to check out Dom on Spotify, on Apple Music, on YouTube. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you can also find him on Instagram. And here it is, Dom's latest single, You Ruined My Favorite Movie. You ruined my favorite movie And you ruined my favorite song can't walk past the place I made you Without wondering where it went wrong We all pretend that when it ends That all it takes is sun But you ruined my favorite movie And you ruined my favorite song you
that you show me. 